Welcome back to Women's Wealth, The Middle Way, the show that answers your questions about work, money, and family. My name is Susan McGlory Michael, and I am the CEO and founder of Glen Eagle, a wealth management firm in New Jersey. Our guest today is Anne Logan, a medical professional with more than 30 years of leadership experience. Anne works for CarePoint Health and is the chief hospital executive at the Hoboken University Medical Center in New Jersey. Anne and her team are on the front line of the COVID-19 pandemic. Welcome, Anne. Thank you, Susan. It's very, very nice, and I'm very honored to speak to you at this time and talk about some of the experiences we're having at the hospital. And you and so many others, I always say it's a calling. My mother was a nurse, and I have a daughter-in-law and a son-in-law who are studying to be physicians and surgeons, and I see them. It's such a passion. And I have known you for several years now, and I see that same passion and desire to help others. When did this yearning to be in the health profession, and tell us a little bit about your background and your journey that took you to where you are today? Well, I never really, I thought about being a nurse growing up. Certain things happened. One thing that was pretty significant is I had a very close friend when I was actually in fifth grade who had acute leukemia. And I'm going back many years where treatment modalities weren't as refined as they are now or scientific as the advances that we see now. But long and short of it is she suffered for about a year and a half and we were just very close and then she passed away and it was very it was just very, very life changing. As a young child, I didn't realize it was, but as I started to get older, I felt that I should do something related to caring for people who have health issues. So I went to college for two years and studied all the prerequisites for nursing, and then I transferred into a hospital-based nursing school up in the North Jersey, East Orange General Hospital School of Nursing, and went through a very traditional hospital-based program. And upon completion, I stayed at that hospital and worked in the intensive care, went back to school for my degrees, and continued to work in intensive care. And I moved to other hospitals. And through that period of time, I ended up getting very charged nurse leadership position, assistant head nurse, nurse manager, and over a long, long period of time, just kept embracing the leadership hospital-based nursing role. And I just, I do love it. I do have a passion. You have to want to do it in healthcare. I believe whatever you're doing in healthcare, you have to want to do it because there are challenges, but the rewards are so much greater. And I subsequently ended up becoming a hospital executive. And here I am today, and I started nursing. I actually graduated my hospital-based school in 1979. But here I am today as a chief hospital executive at Hoboken, working with what I consider a phenomenal team. And we'll get into that, I think, when we talk a little bit more about the pandemic. And it's just wonderful. And having (laughs) known you for several years, I can attest to your passion. I mean, often when we talk, it's always about others and what you're experiencing But let's talk about you and your team. I know you're currently working through this COVID-19 surge. Can you share a little bit of what it's been like and what you're experiencing, both professionally and emotionally? 
Sure. I'll be very transparent. I'll talk about the reality of this. Hoboken is a community-based hospital. We're 333 beds. We're a small hospital. Right now, our systematized model is with two other community hospitals. One's at Jersey City, one is in Bayonne. But we're both small community self-sufficient hospital, and it's a small leadership team. And even though we have different titles and different roles, we all do a little bit of everything to keep things moving. So as this pandemic was starting to occur, everybody knew it was coming, and people were planning, and we were planning and trying to get more resources and more staff and set up strategy. The reality is once it got here, it got here really quickly. I work very closely with the chief nurse executive, my director of emergency management, who's a system person, HR director, chief medical officer, ED director, nursing leaders. We all started doing a lot of different things because we had to. But some of the leadership team and some of the staff, we had a lot of people get sick. Some were exposed and some became positive. So there were different levels over the past six weeks of how many folks were here to work and how many were not able to work. And we had to keep strategizing and adapting to having a decreased workforce and a decreased leadership team. It was hard and it was somewhat fatiguing. And the reality of how this all happened when we started getting these very, very sick patients and the the COVID patients, there's young, there's middle-aged, and there's the older patients. And the high risk is really with the elderly being more at risk for mortality. However, there is mortality and acute disease with some of the younger folks and certainly some of the middle-aged. So even though the expected mortality, you're thinking it's an older person, we were dealing with some several young individuals critically ill on ventilators. We had to expand our ventilator usage, which normally is in a confined unit called the intensive care unit. We had to create additional intensive care capacity, which we did. The Department of Health works very closely with the hospitals during the pandemic. They were resourcing us with additional ventilators and other equipment. Our units turned in, we call them hot zones. When you have a COVID positive patient, you try to cohort. And again, these are critically ill patients. So we were cohorting our patients in several locations and they're hot zones because they're rich with COVID, meaning there's a lot of exposure, potential exposure. So the whole point is everybody has to be garbed the appropriate protective equipment and masking and gowning and all of that. In the beginning, we were struggling with not having enough all the time and having to allocate it as best as we can. Again, the Department of Health came in and FEMA as well, and they helped resource us. But it was difficult in terms of what was happening in the ED, a lot of activity in the emergency department, the whole hospital. Most of our hospital now is a hot zone. We're starting to regroup and go back to some of our normal services, which I'll get to that in a minute. But it was very difficult on many levels. One is it's very fatiguing just to work under that kind of pressure for the frontline staff. Secondly, it's very emotional. It's very, very emotional to take care of some of these patients. Some of these patients are not going to make it. You know they're not going to make it. Doing your best, and when I say your, I mean the front line, the nurses, the doctors, the respiratory therapists, the support staff, they're doing their best. The patients are all isolated. They're alone. We did not allow family visiting. We pretty much shut down the hospital to reduce exposure for everyone. So the patients were alone. The nurses and the docs and everybody were doing their best, but it was very, very 
difficult for them to deal with this. We have a behavioral health component in our services at CarePoint, and I have a very strong behavioral health component here at Hoboken. So we actually set up short-term counseling sessions for folks to just go and sit with somebody for 10 minutes just to decompress. I rounded on units, and, you know, nurses were crying. It was tough. Please know this is not about me. Tough for them because they were dealing with a situation that they felt helpless. Everybody wants to be in control, and especially in a hospital, you want to be in control of everything. But this pandemic is very rough because this virus is very aggressive. You can't see it. It's the silent enemy. And again, the nurses want to take care of their patients and save them. And they're dealing with a situation where they know everything they're doing may not change, but they do everything. It took a great emotional toll on a lot of the clinical staff here. And that was difficult because from my perspective and my role as I'm rounding and I'm there to sort of say everything's going to be okay, you're going to be okay, we're going to be okay, sometimes you just say nothing and you just let people vent. I felt helpless. And for me to feel helpless, I'm saying I'm the leader. I can't be helpless. I have to be able to have solutions here. But there was one situation where And this wasn't really related to COVID. It was during COVID. Like right now, we're starting to see a small decline, but we still have many, many, many COVID patients and we're still in it. The intensity has lessened a little bit, but there was a non-COVID situation where there was an unexpected death on a patient who probably should have come to the hospital a day sooner. This is not a blaming moment. This is just explaining that had the patient come the day sooner, we might've been able to turn that around. But the staff was so upset when this happened, and I think it's a symptom of the stress they're under, that the CNO and I went up to the unit because people were really, really upset. And one nurse, basically, she just sobbed. She just sobbed, and she probably sobbed for 10 minutes. And under a normal situation, I think that there would have been a lot of upsetment, but it almost felt like people were breaking a little bit, and it was heartbreaking. That was situational. That's, and I think it's just related to all the stress and all the intensity and a lot of mortality in general. Now, the other side note of that is we had a lot of successes and we had a lot of patients get better and we had a lot of discharges, but some of these more critically ill patients did not get better. So it was right. a very intense situation. Wow. You know, it's so emotionally moving just listening to you. I think myself and I know that the listeners are going to be humbled by the reality of the gift that we have been given society-wise of having these individuals in the thick of this and so devoted and devotional and passion. But what advice would you give each of us as listeners who are concerned about the virus and protecting not only ourselves, but our family and our children and our coworkers. What are some of the things that we can be doing so we do help to lessen this and we do help you as health professionals not be on the front line in such a great capacity? Stay home. Only go out for essential reasons. Disinfect, wash your hands, wash your hands, and then wash them again. Assume that anything when you leave your home, assume that anything you touch is potentially infected. And you just have to think it's a little more paranoia, but it works. Mask, you have to mask, even though it may not be required in certain municipalities, but you should always mask when you go out. Social distance, of course. They say that eventually once the reopening happens, there may be some allocation where more families could be around each other. 
I think it's better, this is my opinion, to be more conservative and more careful until this COVID really starts to fully decline, which I don't know that it will ever go away. I'm going to expect COVID in the hospital for the rest of the year, not to the degree we had it. But I think you have to really understand the social distancing because on the healthcare front, we see the patients who have COVID, we see how sick they get. We see how sick they get quickly. We see young people getting very sick quickly. We see our colleagues getting sick. We haven't had any fatalities here for any of the healthcare workers, but we've got a couple healthcare workers who are quite ill right now. But this coronavirus is real. I know there's protests going on. I try not to watch the news too much unless I have to, but I do try to keep up because it's just tough to be here all day and then see other things on the news about COVID. But the protesting, I understand there's an economic impact, and I'm fortunate that it's not affecting me, and I am blessed for that. But this illness is bad, and it takes no prisoners, and we're all at risk. So I think people really have to understand that. And I can't thank you enough for sharing that because I think that so many people are concerned. And I think as we may be not involved in the hospitals and the actual care, but I do believe as citizens, we can really be proactive in helping and just staying home. And as you say, wash your hands, do all the things that the health professionals are asking us to do. I can't help but think that together it's powerful. Hey, I do a shout sure. out just for one moment, if I may. Yeah, the people please. caring for the patients front line, day after day, working extra shifts. Some of these folks don't even go home to their families. They're afraid to, that they're going to expose their families, so they're doing alternate arrangements. I just want to say that it's phenomenal. There was a lot of spirituality during this time. There was a lot of group praying, and we're all from different backgrounds, different religions, but there was a lot of spirituality in the groups of praying because people needed that. But the spirituality, I want to just reaffirm the healthcare workers, they just come in and they do the best they can and they're putting themselves at risk. I talk to you often and I know how much you care about all of those individuals that you're working with. I agree with you in the the prayer and offering prayer up and knowing that we are praying for them. I have on my window a huge wood plaque and every morning I get up, I look at it all throughout the day and it says, pray, wait, and trust. And I think that's what we as individuals who are not on the front line need to do. And so if we can continue to focus on praying, waiting, and then trust that good will come out of some of this adversity, I think we'll get there. So I want to thank you so much for taking the time of this busy schedule. I know that you are overwhelmed. I can't think thank you enough as a friend and then also as a health professional for joining us today. I really appreciate you sharing all this knowledge with us. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Women's Wealth, The Middle Way. Make sure to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday. See you in two weeks.